This sports social podcast is brought to you by BetVictor, where live streams, smart stats, and in-play betting can help you make your best bet yet. 18 plus, BeGambleAware.org. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away. Specifically, the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Hello and welcome to VAR at the Bar, episode 18. I am, as always, joined by my usual suspects. Hello, I'm Dan. And I'm Chris. Oh, I'm Ant, by the way. I'm hosting, I've got to say. <laughs> um, it's a good start. How are we all doing? Yeah, good, yeah. thank you. Yeah. yeah, not bad, thank you. Part-time teacher now and all that. Blimey, you got your work cut out there. Mm. <laughs> Have you found the uh, topics that I picked this week? So top 10 weird friendlies. Yeah. yeah, it's quite a broad spectrum, isn't it? It's been interesting reading up on a bit of history. <laughs> I reckon yeah. we'll have a few corkers in there tonight. Yeah, I've got a funny feeling in my bladder. I've got a funny feeling that <laughs> there's going to be something special. I need to know about your bladder, Chris. Oh, well. <laughs> so I thought, I, I thought I'd jump right in tonight because we've got quite a lot to get through. Um, I thought we'd start off with looking back at our pre-season predictions because it's... Uh, Obviously, the halfway point now of the season. Uh, and then I'll talk through my Good, the Bad, the Obscure, followed by uh, Warnock Watch, which I believe Chris is doing this week. It is indeed, yeah. I've got some bits for us. And then we'll do the top 10 friendlies, followed by the socials and fantasy football roundup. And then I've got a nice quiz for you. He so says nice, do. but I've got a funny feeling it's not going to be so nice. <laughs> <laughs> I could do with a draw on the quiz tonight, to be honest. <laughs> Tactical draw, yeah? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I thought with the pre-season predictions, I would uh, quickly read out what you guys put back in episode 12, and then we'll talk through who's doing well and who's not doing so well. Christopher, you yeah. said number six, Wolves. <laughs> number yeah. five, Arsenal. Number yeah. four, Man United. Third Chelsea, second Liverpool, and one Manchester City. Uh, you did also say that it would probably be the closest ever title race, which uh, is probably a fair shout. And you said that Man United have probably been the best without fans. Might agree with that, maybe. Uh, as for relegation, you touted Fulham, West Brom, and West Ham to go down. <laughs> your exact words, your exact words on West Ham was mess, shambles, and black cloud. <laughs> yeah, 
I know. I've got to eat my words with that one, haven't I? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Totally safe, honestly. <laughs> yeah, incredible turnaround. I'm, um, I'm actually speechless. They've done it quietly as well. They've just got on with the results. I take back everything. He's obviously found a formation that works. Antonio up front with four nails and Bowen, who is one of your guys you predicted, wasn't it? And yeah, Jared. I was, was going to come on to the players a bit later. But yeah, well. no, I've, I've absolutely got that one totally wrong. And my Wolves one was a bit optimistic as well at the moment. Well, <laughs> you can't plan for one of their star players to go to Liverpool and the other one to... Fracture his skull, can you? Oof, not really, no. But I think the other ones were okay. I mean, except Chelsea doing not as well as I thought they would in Arsenal, but it's still a long way to go. Myself, I put Spurs at sixth, Man United at five, Arsenal fourth, that was a bit optimistic, Chelsea third, uh, Man City second, and Liverpool first. That's optimistic. <laughs> hey, we're still in it, just. <laughs> Um, relegation, I said Fulham, West Brom and Burnley uh, because mm. I hadn't bought anyone and I thought the wheels might come off at any moment. Uh, and I did also say that Sheffield United would be down there, but not necessarily quite as involved <laughs> as, they, as they are. Yeah. And then Dan, you said, and sixth, Everton, but you weren't sure about Michael Keane. I think he's had quite a solid season. I think he's been their best defender, hasn't he? <laughs> I'm still not convinced. Oh, fair enough. Can't please everyone. Uh, <laughs> fifth, you had Arsenal. Fourth, Chelsea. Third, Liverpool. Based on Liverpool not signing anyone. And second, Man United. And first, Man City. Yeah, pretty happy with those. Yeah, yeah. I think you're probably the closest out of everyone. Uh, relegation, you had Fulham, West Brom and Brighton. Yeah. Yeah. I think we we can always safely say we didn't expect Sheffield United to do as badly as they have. No. Knew they'd be down there, but not. No, no predicting that was it. And it's odd that no one predicted Leicester to be in the top six. Yeah. True yeah. That. Yeah. They were there last year. Yeah, they've they've yeah. had a, they've had a busy fixture schedule with the Europa League games, um, but they've rotated the squad really well. Lots of players have stepped up. Uh, Rogers has, um, in, in my opinion, has improved uh, the way that he manages the team off the ball. Um, that's a big improvement. I've seen. Not no longer we playing Man City and Liverpool and trying to have more possession than them, which was a fatal mistake. So um, yeah, definitely improvements at Leicester. I think the only thing you can say with with um, Leicester is whenever I've seen them play Liverpool, especially they haven't quite got it right yet. I'm saying, obviously, I think the play. Oh yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Um, obviously, Man City was a great result, and you played. I think you've you've done well against all the other ones around you as well. So, Rodgers did finally beat Chelsea for the first time ever. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so, right, speaking of Chelsea, we might as well get this one out of the way first because obviously, big news this week. What do you make of the uh, Frank Lampard getting sacked, Chris? Oh. Okay. Um, last year, he did great with a young team. He's then bought a lot of, I would say, quite eager, ego-driven players. And to mix them in with what they had already is going to take a long time. I think it's been slightly early, in my opinion. And he hasn't helped himself, in my opinion, as well, that he hasn't picked 
the same eleven. I don't think he ever knew what his favourite eleven was. And like the signings that they had, for example, Thiago Silva is there for the young, you know, experienced head at the back, but obviously to help the younger players. Doesn't even speak a word of English. I mean, how is he meant to speak to them? Do you know what I mean? These sorts of little things that probably didn't help help the, the course. But yeah, I mean, that's my opinion. I just think there was just too many players in the squad. It was overfilled with quality and it just struggled to keep everyone happy. And I think whoever will come in charge, you know, Thomas Tuchel, um, then he's going to struggle to keep those egos intact as well because he struggled at PSG. So... <laughs> It's just going to be the same scenario, in my opinion. But I think, I, in other words, it's just been too a bit too soon for me. But the first half performance against Man City was woeful, wasn't it? And Leicester wasn't a great first half either. But yeah, that's where I stand anyway. Dan? Uh, I thought it was harsh, sacking him, uh, when they're on course to, uh, in, the, in Europe and to have another Champions League finish. That's definitely within reach. Uh, he had a great year last year with uh, his hand tied with signings. He couldn't sign anyone last year and he developed a lot of young players. This year, obviously, they've brought a lot of players in for a big money. And he's not had any pre-season. He, he's had to rotate to keep players fit. And it still ended up with him not knowing his best team. The players haven't gelled together. So what do you think about it? That They're never going to be competing at, at the top of the league. So I think it's really harsh to sack him and not give him a bit more time to try and get that squad gelled and get those players playing well together. That's my opinion on it. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of the same as you two. Um, you know, obviously, I think Bramwich have looked at it and said, well, he's not as experienced as some of the other managers I've I've got in. Perhaps give him a bit more time because he proved last season that he could do a good, a goodish job, especially nurturing the young players. And I think. Yeah. Mason Mount and Tammy Abram have been probably two of the better players this season. Yeah. yeah. Same with um, Giroud, who they've been trying to get out the door for the last two <laughs> seasons. Um, I, I just wonder who actually wanted Werner and Havertz. I wonder whether Lampard wanted yeah. them or whether it was Abramovich. It seemed to this me is, like Werner was always kind of shoehorned into the team. It's like, well, you're yeah. Well. And you've got Abraham on the bench who can score goals. You've got Giroud on the bench who can score goals. No, who, who sanctioned it? Yeah, I just think it's a bit of a... It could be the Abramovich ego again, isn't it? Like, oh, I haven't been able to buy anyone for a year, so I'm going to go out big when everyone else probably can't really afford to. I'm just going to prove a point that I can still have the buying power to get all the best young players around. I mean, you've got to remember, Werner only costs £50 because of his clause, which in today's money isn't a lot of money anyway. But obviously, Havertz was a lot of money, wasn't he? Was he just yeah. over a hundred million? I think he was about eighty odd. I think wasn't he? But he's 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 a young player. You know, he, he yeah. needs a bit of time. And, and he's been, he's been yeah. injured as well a lot. Yeah, Werner's been stuck out on the wing. I think. Yeah, he played yeah. there at Leipzig though, just to play devil's advocate. Again, it takes time to settle in, though, doesn't it? Of course, it does. It, like, I mean, the, the way I can compare it is um, personally with Bobby Firmino at Liverpool, where first season he was bad, wasn't he? He wasn't particularly great, didn't have any confidence. As soon as he got confidence, the goals came. And look at look at him sort of now. He's, you know, he's just reached, I think, got into the top 20 all-time scorers now. 
you know, no one would have said that after his first season. It's about giving these players time. They're not just going to come in and be able to boss boss a, a team that at the age of 23 or 24, what they are, in a different country. <laughs> no. Yeah. Just unrealistic. And also, with, with people in like Chelsea's position, you look at people like Christian Pulisic and um, uh, Tamore at the back. You know, they were playing quite regularly last year. And they haven't even got a sniff, really, uh, this year. No, no, exactly. Um, I think, um, well, I think probably be Chelsea's loss. So I'm sure Lampard will quite easily get a job somewhere else yeah. when one of the middle-of-the-road Premier League teams sacked their manager. Yeah, I heard he was linked with Palace and uh, Newcastle. Yeah, that's not a bad shout, to be honest, I think. Newcastle would be a good one, I think. Yeah, but does he want to manage under that owner? Well, exactly. Palace is probably a bit, perhaps a bit better on because they, they've got quite a young, well, they've got some young players. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they could work the way round. round there'll be opportunities. He did a good job there, really. Especially that first season. There'll be big opportunities for him down the line, I'm sure. Yeah. Right then, Manchester City. You think they're going to do the, go, go the distance? You think it's theirs to lose now? Yeah. Bit too early, yeah. yeah. I mean, a bit too early to say theirs to lose. I think um, I think a few clubs have managed to do that this year. <laughs> Getting themselves well, in a good position. You say that, but everyone, everyone's stuttering at the minute and Man City have just started yeah. to hit form. So exactly, it, they've been get, getting the results quietly. One nil's here, you know, they've been cleaved. I think they've kept something like... Five nil's there, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if they carry on, they'll win it, but without a doubt. It's, yeah, I yeah, think every, every, team's team's a, every team's a great patch this season. Obviously, Liverpool uh, hopefully come out of theirs. Man, City had theirs start the season. United had theirs start the season. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, true. Yeah, it's still wide open. You're still wide open, but I'd say that they're in the driving seat. Yeah, I mean, the, the only thing you can say for the clubs is that um, I still think their defence isn't as solid as it has been at Man City. I think it's all just about taking your chances. Like you saw with, you know, Burnley against Liverpool was your prime example with the penalty. You know, they, that was really about all they had. They took the chance and got the win. And I think if clubs did that against Man City, then... They probably might have dropped a few more points, but from what I've seen, they they've been given chances, but just haven't taken them. And Man City are so clinical, attacking wise, aren't they? Well, they've got the best defensive record in the league by a mile, Chris. They've only conceded thirteen goals. I was going to say since Stones and Diaz have been at the back, they've been. I think they've only conceded one, haven't they? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's looking ominous for everyone else. Wish mm. Arsenal had bought John Stones now in the summer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think I think they are probably the team to beat. Unfortunately, yeah. Uh, we'll see what happens when they come to Anfield in a few weeks. Yeah, well, big game. And also, um, Gundogan as well has been outstanding. And uh, well, Sh- Canelo is it as well? The right yeah. back, Cancelo. yeah, Cancelo. Sorry, yeah. I've just Fantastic. put Gundogan in my in, in my dream team, so uh, that's him done for the season now. <laughs> <laughs> So, Man United, uh, obviously they had a rather shock result in midweek against Sheffield United. Is, is this the beginning of the end of their title race, or do you think it's just a, a minor blip? So they're an interesting one, aren't they, Man United? I yeah, don't really very know. hard to predict. 
Well, exactly. I don't know really what we can say. They like to fall behind them in away games, don't they? And win, win away from being behind. They can't seem to win at home. I think they've lost now four home games in the league now. Fantastic counter-attacking team, I mean, like they showed in the Cup. But they're just so inconsistent. You just don't know what, what they're going to get. Yeah, I've said for a while that they were riding their luck a bit by coming from behind every game and I knew eventually that, that that luck was going to come unstuck and didn't expect it to be Sheffield United, but... No, I don't think many people um, did. No. <laughs> no, I think um, the, the players looked a bit tired in that game. Yeah. They need to rotate a little bit better because they've got a huge squad. Yeah. So this is what I said, um, I think, at the end of last season. I said, Solskjaer yep. doesn't seem to like to rotate. No. He, he sticks the same 11 out. Yeah, exactly. And that, that, yeah, that's been the major thing, fatigue, isn't it? It's just going to be, you know, it's a, the the mo- the fittest team will survive, won't it? The mo- ones that you rotate, like your Leicester. I mean, they've almost changed a full team, didn't they, for the cup and then from the yeah. league, almost yeah. yeah. And obviously, Man City have that luxury. Um, Liverpool, not so much at the moment because half of them are in the injury room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unlucky times. That's. What, all depends on that, doesn't it? Uh, right, who else was there? So, what about Arsenal? All three of us said Arsenal being top five. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think they're going to do it? Do you think they've got enough? Sneak I think, in? I don't think they can get higher than sixth. There seems to be still a few cracks there, doesn't there, that need to be patched up. Um, I think sixth will be a successful season with, for them. I think definitely, in my opinion. I just think that that run they've got they've sort of played themselves a bit into form, and they just need a bit more consistency, don't they? And consistency from their big players. Banyamang needs to show up a little bit more, I think. And Lacazette seems to be a bit more on form now, but that's if he plays. Again, it's just amazing. It's almost the other way with Arsenal, isn't it? They rotate their team almost too much. So I don't know who their yeah. best eleven is. <laughs> I don't know I'm, if you I'm guys. glad he's, he's finally seems to have put some more of the youngsters in the team. You know, your, your Sackers and your Smith Rose. Yeah. Yep. Who have been brilliant the last few weeks. Yeah. And less so, you know, some of the some of the the older heads in the team, like your Granite Zackers and. Um, who else they got? Bellerin. Yeah. Is he still there? Yeah, yeah he's, he's still there, there, yeah. I mean, Tierney's been a big, big plus, hasn't he, when he's been fit? He seems like he really wants wants to play. Yeah. Very very good at pushing up as well. For the first time in a long time, they've improved the defence. I wouldn't say that it's one of the best defences in the league or anything, but they look uh, like they're consistently keeping goals out now which is surprising under Arteta, really. But the defensive record speaks for itself. Second best in the league. Wow. That's a start all... I didn't know. Surprising, isn't it? Mm, no, they've also got rid of the uh, the black cloud that is Mesut Ozil. He's finally gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Free up some money for them. Yeah, exactly. Probably still paying his wages, mate. <laughs> oh, probably, yeah. No <laughs> okay, let's switch our attention to the bottom of the table then. Fulham and West Brom are the popular one between the three of us. Do you think? Do you think they're going to go down? Do you think they've got enough? I think West uh, Brom are going down. Yeah, I do. On the second Vegas. manager, not seeing much improvement. I wouldn't be surprised if he's the next to get sacked. To be honest, 
Well, when's the transfer window close? I expected some activity um, there. A couple of days' time, isn't it? Yeah, not too much today, so yeah. No reason for me to think anything's going to change there. It's bizarre. Uh, he's just bought in Snodgrass and that's it at the moment. That, that, that's a good signing. He's a great, is, he's a great good. They're that's trying to get Maitland-Niles as well, aren't they, on loan? But whether that yeah. will happen, I don't know. I think it's centre-back that they need, really, isn't it? They need just an old head as a centre-back, really. Um, I find that the, the full-backs that they've got aren't too bad. I know Kieran Gibbs is a getting on a bit, but that um, Darnell Furlong's been pretty good, actually, for them, I thought. Yeah, he has, yeah. One of, their be- one of their better players to come out of it. He's very good at coming pushing forward, and he seems OK defensively as well. Pereira, he's a, he's a Premier League player. He's really yeah. good. Yeah, but again, it, like we said on the the preview, wasn't it that these two, both of the clubs are struggling to get themselves an out and out goal scorer? Yeah, you need somebody that in that sort of relegation dogfight, maybe ten goals, you know, just to get yourself pull yourself out of that. You know, they're creating chances, but they haven't got the strikers that seem to be calm enough to convert them. You could say the same sort of with Brighton as well. Well, that's Brighton's downfall. It's been their downfall for, mm. for years. They just haven't got yeah. a prolific goal scorer. No. Yeah, well, I put Brighton on my list to go down at the, at the start of the season. And the reason was that more than any other team that I've seen for a long time, actually, they find a way to throw away points. Mm. They concede goals late in games. They've just got almost like a losing mentality there. It's shocking. I saw a, I saw a stat yesterday that on expected goals per game, um, on that table, they're something like fourth in the Premier League, which is incredible. And if you match up the points they've actually got to the expected points, there's just a huge gap there. Yeah. They, they did massively underachieve because they play attractive football. And I think oh, everyone yeah. everyone agrees with that under Graham Potter. They do. But it's just getting the results that match the performances. It just doesn't happen. No, it's it, it's, a, it's a real shame because, you know, I mean, I know they're bought in someone old head like Danny Welbeck up front as well to try and help those fares. But he's obviously never hardly fit nowadays anyway, and he's not as prolific <laughs> as he used to be. To be blunt. Same with Lallana as well. You've not got the, the players that there were, you know, 10, you know, five years ago even. And Mulpe, I'm afraid, is very hit and miss. And yeah. you set up a chance for him. You, you just you just see, you're not surprised if, the, if he misses. Yeah. You know what I mean? If it's a clear cut plan, chance, sorry, you're not surprised. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And I think that's the only area that they need to sort of work on. I mean, they seem to create, like you say, create a tremendous amount of chances. Mm. But it's, like I say, that sort of losing mentality. Man United, earlier on this season, they conceded late there, didn't they? Against yeah, I, think, them, I, think they a, I think they need a left back. And um, who have they got in goal at the minute? Well, that was an odd thing, Matt Ryan yeah. going. I yeah, thought it was, it was starting games, and all of a sudden, it was in the papers they wanted to get rid of him, and then he was yeah. gone. It's gone to Arsenal, wasn't it? Yeah, it's a strange one, that it was apparently because um, they dropped him due to some poor performances. Um, but I think he's been one of their con- most consistent players since they've been in the Premier League, to be honest. I mean, I know against Leicester, he made a couple of mistakes, didn't he, for a couple of the goals, but only minor mistakes. I th- it must have been something internal. So, what what we're we thinking then for the bottom for the bottom three? If you had to redo your predictions now, who are we going to go with? 
Go on, Dan, I'll let you start. Uh, well, I have to go with the Sheffield United, West Brom and Fulham. <laughs> Sorry to be boring and predictable. But... Uh, no, that's fine. I was just having a look at the table, actually. and uh, Fulham have got a game in hand on 13 points and Brighton are next, uh, just above them on 18 points. So after that, it's, I mean, West Brom and Sheffield United are adrift by yeah. seven, ten points. And yeah, I, I think it's going to be a bit of a boring relegation fight this season. I can see Newcastle being dragged into it, though. Yeah, no, I can. Yeah. I, I yeah. think the fans well, are slowly really turning on Bruce now, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Well, they never really started being on his front, on his uh, <laughs> to be honest, mate. <laughs> I mean, the, the major the major loss that they've had has been um, St. Maximum. Obviously, had COVID for been out for about two months, which is obviously about the time when they've won. I think there'll be a lot of pressure on his shoulders. And like Dan said, they're at the moment lacking confidence. The, the manager's not liked, <laughs> unfortunately. And they could drag themselves up. But again, you then need then either Fulham, um, <laughs> Fulham to win games. And I just can't see them going on a run at the moment. Um, I know they beat Leicester, didn't they? <laughs> but that's a fluke. That's a, a random result, wasn't it, really? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't a good Leicester performance, put it that way. <laughs> I think um, I think Bruce came out the other day and say something about Rafa, which has riled the Newcastle fans as well, I read. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. It's, all, it's all along lines of stop going on about mighty Rafa. You only finished 11th under him. Yeah, it wasn't quite what he said, but it was along those lines. And I thought, oh, well, dear. the team yeah. he did that with as well that was an incredible achievement. Yeah, yeah. Well, Rafa's become free. Yeah, FYI, his family's uh, lives in England as well, don't they? Yeah, he'll be back. He will be third, third time lucky. Eh? I wouldn't <laughs> be, surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if it was at Newcastle as well. Yeah, that's what I mean, yeah. Maybe West Brom. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so, just quickly, what, what are we thinking about the top six, then? Mate, that's a, that's a that's an interesting, that's a loaded question. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm pretty pretty happy with the top three. Liverpool, Man City, Man United, in some, form, in some order. Yeah, I'll probably agree with that. I think I think Leicester will get fourth this season. I have to say that from what I've seen, they they probably are the um, third or fourth best in terms of football in the purest sense. They play really good football. They'll be there or thereabouts, I think. Chelsea, I have a feeling they'll turn it round, and they've yeah. got a lot of quality in that squad. So then there's a between Spurs and Arsenal, then really, isn't it? Because well, I'm, I'm, I'm to put Southampton up there as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, what about West Ham? Everton. Everton and West Ham. Could I switch it from relegation at the beginning of the season to <laughs> top six? <laughs> oh, that would be that would be a, a turnaround. I'm not though. I think um, West Ham are 22 points clear of Fulham at the moment, Chris. So. Oh, I think that they're just about doing enough then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would like to say Everton. Yeah, you know, I'll stick with Everton because I um, saw them, seen them a couple of times, and still look, the only problem with Everton is is strength in depth. If they lose a couple of players, 
they struggle massively. If they can keep the top 11 fit, they could be up, up in the top five. They've got a couple of games in hand, I think, as well. So depends on what they're doing with them. Yeah, I'd give that six spot to either Spurs or Everton. Probably, probably Spurs. I think. I think I think Spurs will just about clinch it. I like. I'll, I'm going to give it Everton just to be. Okay. No, fair enough. Fair enough. Controversial. Okay, so the the players that we said that we'd uh, were, were, were ones to watch this season, Chris, you put uh, Brandon Williams. Yeah. Nico Williams. Yeah. Eberechiezi, Pedro Neto, and Ferran Torres. Yeah. Well, uh... I mean, Brandon Williams is on the verge of going somewhere else, isn't he? He is. He's he's going on loan, I think, either to Southampton or Newcastle, by the sounds of things. Nico Williams. Made... I don't even know if he's still alive. <laughs> he's, he's he's there just about. He's on. He's warming the suspension, isn't he? At the moment, he's played a few times in the league, but again, I think it's eleven appearances. I've I've got here. Um. As as he's been a good player, I think this season for Palace. Yeah, that was a good shout. He's that been impressive. Do you Pedro see his goal against Sheffield United? Yeah, 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 great goal. Yeah. Pedro Neto was a good shout. Um, Torres in in, in and out of the team, isn't he? Yeah, you, you see, he's, he's an odd one because uh, Champions League he's made five appearances, four goals. Yeah, yeah, you can't ignore that when you're rotating uh, the squad. Yeah. But again, though, I think it's finding a place to play in at the moment. You know, I think they thought he's just going to be a, a replacement for Silver. But like I say, Gundogan's on an absolutely amazing form at the moment and there's just not enough space for him there <laughs> at the moment. Uh, my one's just as weird. I've gone Minamino, who, again, can't really get in the team at the moment. <laughs> uh, Bukayo Saka, who I think is... Done all right. Yeah, that's good. Cool. Yeah. yeah, very good. He's just going back onto form recently, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Strength, strength, yeah. Um, Jared Bowen, who I think's had a, having quite a good yeah. season. He's done well. Pedro Neto and Jaffet Tanganga. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know if he's playing or not. I've not he's heard not. of him. He's not no. Is he? No. Uh, uh, never mind. Can't win them all. Well, well, Dan's anyway. I'll cry. Dan, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Damari Gray. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's going he's to going. Germany. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan Fraser. I mean, he's not done much. <laughs> Patrick Bamford started okay. Yes. That was a great shout. <laughs> that was a great shout, mate. I can't believe that. I was like, we should have put a few, <laughs> few books on that one. Well, I had to get one right, didn't I? <laughs> I've put him in my dream team about five weeks ago and he's done absolutely nothing for me. Yeah. <laughs> Timo Werner. We'll brush over that one. Um, Mason Holgate. He's been injured though, hasn't he? I think Holgate. He's back in, it. it's, it's not, again, I've not heard much from him this season. Yeah. He's been um, he's been on the right though. I thought he'd be playing at centre back. But oh, okay, uh, putting back at right back, have they? Yeah, that's an interesting one. But yeah, yeah I think I think he will. I think he will establish himself, Holgate. I think we've uh, we've all picked some good and some bad ones. Um, yeah, and some obscure ones, which leads <laughs> you to the next one. <laughs> There's Eze. from South London, from Greenwich, which is Charlton Territory, and he's gliding past players as he loves to do. Abiri Eze! He's a showman! 
of Selhurst Park is his new theatre and he's taken to the stage and he's put on a show. What about this? What about that? He has strolled that into the far corner. He's one of those players for the ability to give himself just an extra half a second of time. Lovely awareness and a composed cultured finish this. Right then, that leads us nicely on to this week's Good, the Bad, the Obscure. Um, normally, we list the clubs that this person's played for and you have to guess, but uh, I'm not going to do it this week. I'm going to ask, have you ever heard of a player called Jürgen Croy? No. Croy No. <laughs> Croy. No, I haven't, mate, no. Okay. So he he was possibly one of Germany's greatest ever goalkeepers. And he was renowned for reflexes like a cat, great distribution, a fantastic shot stopper. No one has ever heard of him because he hailed from the German Democratic Republic or East Germany to wow. people like you and me. Um, and they refused to single out a player as a hero as they were all about collectiveness and teamwork. Um, the other factor you've probably never heard of him was that he only ever played for one club a tiny nondescript city close to the Czech border called Zvikau. Wow. So he played for Saxenring Zvikau for 16 years between 1965 and 1981, uh, later managing them for a further four years before becoming president of the club and then vice president of the East German FA. Uh, he played in the German East German national team between 1967 and 1981, and he was often thought to be equal to his Western counterpart, Sepp Meyer. I presume you've heard of him. Yep. Um, in 1974, he assisted a goal with a throw to eliminate West Germany, keeping out your keeping out Beckenbauer and Müller in the process, and he even won a gold medal at the Montreal Olympics in 1976. Uh, as Vickow were very much a middle-of-the-road team in the top flight. And the usual way that football worked in East Germany was that the best players played for teams who were regularly competing for European football. So, like, your Dynamo Dresdens, your Locomotive Leipzigs, your FC Magdeburgs, for example. Um, but Croy had other ideas, and he told the German FA that he should play for a smaller team and therefore face more shots. Actually, he just wanted to stay at Zikau. <laughs> this didn't go down well with the head of the Stasi secret police, Eric Mika, who was uh, in charge of Dynamo Berlin and Dresden, and whose belief was that the success of these clubs would further push their socialist agenda abroad. Um, the Stasi, as we know, were used to get in their own way. Uh, they had often manipulated various aspects of the game to win Berlin the title for 10 years running like transfers, etc. Um, not to mention Dresden winning it three times before that. But they just could not find a way to manipulate Jürgen Croy. He was clean as a whistle. He was a family man. He paid his taxes. He had a good job on the side in the car factory. Um, and even when threatened by the East German FA that he could be called up to the army, he still refused. He had his phone bugs and on away trips, he was often asked to defect or spy on his teammates, but he refused. Uh, Zwickau did actually enjoy a bit of success with him and the team. They won the East German Cup in 1967 and in 75, 
uh, and it kept out Dresden's goalkeeper Hans Jürgen Dormer's spot kick uh, before converting the winner himself. Then they played in the Cup Winners' Cup, beating the likes of um, Panathinaikos, Fiorentina and Celtic before finally losing to Anderlecht. Um, and there we are. And as far as I'm aware, he still lives in Zwickau to this day. He's never moved. Wow. It's a great That's story. A with him. I love that. With him not, not taking the bait with anything as well. Oh, that's a great story. I love that. Something about the German keepers. You had uh, Mr. Butt. Yeah, I, I, and, I noticed uh, that the other day when I was doing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, very good. Okay. Um, give my voice a rest for a bit. Chris, what have we got on Warnock Watch this week? Yeah, well, as we, we left uh, left last time, it was uh, just before the FA Cup match. They eventually lost that one, 2-1 to Brentford. Obviously, there's a bit of a COVID outbreak then, so they had to play a lot of uh, under-23s. Uh, but since then, they've gone back, back to a few league games, um, which were um, at home to Birmingham which unfortunately they lost 1-0. Then they went to Forest, uh, 1-2-1. Warnock's comments for that was, I'm really pleased with that. I thought we were at it from the first minute tonight. I turned over to to the bench after two minutes and said, we'll be all right. So obviously he's a bit of a mind reader as well, knowing that that was going to happen. Then I don't know if you guys saw the Middlesbrough-Blackburn game. Have you heard about it? A certain challenge on the no, defence. No, I did. They ended up losing the game um, 1-0. But there was a very innocuous challenge by their defender, Jared Braithwaite. He's on loan from um, Everton at the time, um, playing for Blackburn on, their, on uh, Middlesbrough's star defender. Uh, Warnock um, actually said live on TV... Basically, he kicked the face when the other guy was going up for a header and um, the guy was obviously taken off due to, to him having a blood injury. And um, Warnock then said, um, how hasn't he seen that ref? Do you want to come over and watch the TV? Uh, they're saying it's a penalty on Sky. What fucking use is, is that if you're not using it? The doctor says he was a millimetre from losing his eyeball. It's a pretty nasty um, cut he's got. When I saw um, Deal's injury, I saw the challenge like everyone's seen. It's a red card. It's endangered the player's safety. He should have been sent off. That turned the whole game for me. I was gutted for Deal when I saw the mess he was in. So he's had a few stitches as well around the eye, and he's obviously promptly missed other games and missed the rest of that game as well. Um, so that he wasn't particularly happy with that. Uh, last game that I've got to just update you guys on was a visit from another one of his old clubs, Rotherham. Well, Rotherham was struggling near the bottom and uh, they promptly overturned them 3-0. So not a great result for, for Warnock. Uh, I think there's a massive um, problem with the size of the squad at the moment. Very thin bear. They missed three players for that game against Rotherham and that that basically cost them the game, in his opinion. But some good news for him is um, that uh, Belassi has agreed to join them, I think, for the rest of the season. 
which I think will probably turn. To, I think they've been chasing him for quite a while, and he's a very solid signing, isn't he? Yeah, I've completely forgotten all about him, to be honest. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and then Darnell Fisher is a right back from Preston, and they're looking to complete a three hundred grand signing on him as well. So another sort of a good competition for places. Um, the next, the next few games are toughies, to be honest. They're um, away at Norwich, uh, then they're at home again to Brentford, and then they're away to Rain Rooney's Middles um, Derby. Sorry, so it's a few tough games there. At this moment in time, though, they're still amazingly seventh in the league, uh, three points away from the playoffs still. 12 points away from uh, second. So they're still well in the hunt. It's just a matter of uh, consistency in that league, isn't it? Um, During this time, I don't know if you know, but his former club, Cardiff, have had a change of manager. I think uh, Mick McCarthy's gone in and uh, Neil Harris has gone out. Um, Well, there's a bit... Neil Warnock decided to have a bit of a chat about Neil Harris's sacking at Cardiff. This is what he said. I thought one or two of the comments he made when he first got the Cardiff jobs were a little detrimental to me. I've got to change the mindset of players who've been used to playing one way, and that's winning. Bit of a a bitchy comment there, Mr. Warnock. But, um, yeah, so that's, that's where we are at the moment. Okay, thanks for that, Chris. It's Cheltenham, in it, tomorrow? Oh, yeah. I remember when I did it with Brazil. <laughs> and uh, about 20 to 10, 20 to 10, he said, nearly coming for a drink. I forget, the rugby player was on with us. Um, Princess Anne's husband. Mike Tindall. <laughs> yeah, Mike, sorry. And he said, uh, coming down for a quick... I said, I'll come down with you on, Alan, for a quickie. 20 past 10 in the 10, the Guinness 10. And we had a, they ordered two Guinness, and I, I had a, a gin and tonic, and I thought, well, you know. But then, within about three minutes, they ordered again. So, so I went to the bar, and I said to these two young lads, listen, every time we come to the bar now and ask for two pints of Guinness and a gin and tonic, you only give me a tonic. You understand? And I give you 20 quid. I give him 20 quid, the kid. I said, I'd only put a tonic in, even if they come to the bar. Okay, sir. Well, if we didn't have 12 in about an hour... I don't know what happened. So at 20 past 10 tomorrow, I'll be thinking of Alan and everybody else. Well, you are a very sensible man, Neil. <laughs> very sensible. Never yeah, try but... to keep up with Alan Brazil is, is the motto, yeah. Okay, so that brings us on to the top 10 this week. So weirdest friendlies. Bit of a laugh, this one. You know, there's no right or wrong. Chris, I don't think there's an obvious one that you can miss off this week. <laughs> no. Let's see what you got at number ten, Chris. I'm sure. I'm sure I have. Um, you probably um, have. Yeah. <laughs> I've got Deportivo versus Pontypridd in 2015. Fair enough. It's not go on my ahead, list. Go. No. Oh, okay. No. I'll give you a few few bits on this one. So at the time, um, Pontypridd were third tier minnows in the Welsh Football League. They played their matches on council-owned field in Lagsagnard Park. Um, the assistant manager, Dominic Brand, had contacts in Spain. The previous year, they actually had a, pre- a friendly 
against uh, Valencia, second team that was. And if they conceded below 10 goals, then they would get this friendly. So obviously they, they managed to do that. Um, they only conceded uh, three goals in that one. So when it came to, to playing Deportivo, at the time they were still in um, La Liga, the top division. Uh, they played uh, the former champs on El Mundo del Football training, training ground, and they only lost 4 0. And that's it, really, guys. Just thought that'd be a nice one just to, to wet the whistle a little bit. So, Dan, come on, you're, you're the obscure man. Let's see what you've got. Now, this one's not obscure. This one uh, is Histon versus Real Sociedad in 2013. Yeah, I saw that one, yeah. I think I had that down as a special mention. So, um, it was in 2013 uh, on the 3rd of August, and it came about when Sociedad were meant to be playing the Tottenham under-21s team, and for reasons that I didn't find out, the Tottenham team withdrew at the last minute. So it was all thrown together at the last minute to play Histon as a replacement. Uh, because it was so thrown together, the match had to be played behind closed doors, which was a bit of a shame. Uh, no fans got to attend. Uh, and the, the main thing that was uh, strange about this game is that Sociedad, they were warming up to have a Champions League qualifying match on the 20th of August. So their warm-up match is playing Histon in England. It's just, <laughs> it's just bizarre. Um, so they they were they were trying and they just mercilessly stuffed them eight <laughs> one. Um, Carlos Vela was a Sociedad player at the time and he wasn't happy about um, playing Histon. He went on Twitter and said, "With matches like this, it's difficult to prepare for a major season." <laughs> I read that. <laughs> But um, it, it didn't really matter because in the qualifying game, they beat Leon 2-0 at home, 2-0 away, and they made it to the Champions League group stage. Mm-hmm. It makes me laugh when they say things like that, as Carlos Vela, who's now playing in Major League Football in America, <laughs> says something like that. <laughs> I just find it quite amusing. He was never a particularly <laughs> big name, was he? No, not particularly. So, my number 10, which, which might feature on your list, is Sheffield FC versus Inter Milan. That's a special mention for me, mate. Fair enough. No, no, didn't see that one. Um, so, to mark the oldest club in English football's uh, 150th anniversary, Northern Premier League Division 1 Southside, Sheffield FC, played Inter Milan as part of the celebrations at Bramall Lane. Uh, Marco Materazzi and Mario Balotelli played uh, for Inter Milan um, and they won 5-2 in front of uh, the watching guests Pele and Set Blatter. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> and that's, that's pretty much all I have on that because that's pretty much all there is to say. Right, just right, just the sort of Pele and Set Blatter watching uh, a Northern Premier League Division 1 Southside playing football. It brought a bit of a smile to my face. Yeah, I like that. I think I saw, um, for the same reasons, I think there was a friendly between Juventus and Notts County as well. Which nicely links to my number nine. <laughs> That's my number... I've got the number five, bizarrely. Have you? Uh... Yeah. All right, I'll let you talk about it. I haven't got much on it. Um, yeah, so mine's Juventus, Notts County 2011. Uh, Juventus invited Notts County to the opening of the new sta- stadium. 
due to their historical links between the two clubs. Um, the story started from an Englishman called John Savage playing for Juve in 1903. He arranged for replacement shirts to be sent to the Italian club by a county um, supporting friend back home. Juventus have worn the black and white stripes ever since. Um, obviously, that were traditionally started off by Knox County. So this new stadium has opened and uh, they decided they could have invited anyone in the whole world. And they decided as a nice little gesture to invite Knox County. So this 40,000 um, stadium uh, opened a full house there. They fielded a really strong team with uh, Buffon, Pirlo, Del Piero all playing, um, ended up a one-all draw. And I think a lot of Notts County um, fans and players say it's their best ever result <laughs> that they've ever had. <laughs> and a certain Lee Hughes was the one that equalised for Notts County, if you remember him. Yeah, wow. So that was a great, great link there, Dan. I must admit, for us that. You got anything else to add on, Dan? No, mate, you... you... You've covered it. Um, the reason I put it at five was because one, Notts County got a good result, and two, it was just such a kind of bizarre story that Juventus's yeah. kits came from Notts County of all teams. Yeah, exactly. It could have been anyone, couldn't it? And then they followed that up, sort of sent a hundred over a hundred years after, and continued their friendship, which is quite nice, isn't it? Okay, Dan, what have you got for us? Right, this is a this is an old one dating back to 1909. Oh, okay. I haven't the, got this one then. <laughs> I've gone for the uh, Thomas Lipton Trophy. God, how yeah. did you find this one, mate? No, I haven't got it. No, <laughs> you've not you not you've heard of it. No, can't say I have. No, no, oh, no. I'm surprised. I'm surprised. Um, basically, it's, it's a Thomas Lipton, the the iced tea guy. Oh, okay, right, yeah. Uh, so basically, way back when, he had this vision to hold an international tournament and get representation of the strongest teams from all these different countries, which is quite a good idea, as we um, obviously uh, enjoy with the Champions League. Now. But this was a, a tournament that took place in Turin in 1909. And again, it happened in 1911. And teams from Italy, Germany, Switzerland and England were invited um, the countries were invited to put their most pre- prestigious clubs into the tournament. Now, the English FA refused to be associated with the competition. Um, I think at that time, England were quite uh, basically a bit pompous when it came to international competition. <laughs> I didn't even enter the first two World Cups because they thought they were too good. But um, Look how that the- turned out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but the-, the way this story goes is that... Um, the invitation was extended to Woolwich Arsenal and it was uh, forwarded with the initials WA and in the post it ended up being mixed up and was sent to West Auckland FC instead. So they got the invitation. Now West Auckland <laughs> FC, this was an English side in Durham that was made up of minors. This wasn't a football team, it was a social team that played football. Um, but nevertheless, they accepted the invitation and they travelled to Turin to represent England. And um, in 1909, they it was basically just four teams from those four countries in a knockout, a mini knockout tournament, semi-finals and final. Uh, they beat uh, Stuttgart in the first game 2-0 and they made it to the final. 
And then in the final, they won 2 0 against uh, the Swiss team Winterthur. And then in 1911, they were invited back to defend their trophy. Uh, they won the semi-final 2-0 against Zurich. And in the in the final, and this is the one that's on my list, they uh, they beat Juventus 6-1. A bunch of minus. How is this not your number one? Yeah, this is what I was going to say, exactly the same thing. <laughs> I hope yours are better, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a great find. I, I Googled quite a lot for this, and I didn't come across that once. So that is a fantastic find. Okay. Pop my hat off to you, mate. That's a great was, one. So it, it was basically like a, an early Emirates Cup, then I suppose, or a yeah. Audi Cup, or whatever the preseason tournaments are called these days. Yeah, pretty much. All right. Well, I, I, I can't top that one at number nine. Um, I've gone with Club Bruges versus Otterloo Galati in 2013. Oh, that's my number three. Oh, okay. All right, we'll save that one. Back to Chris and. Number eight, um, that is, does anyone have Leeds versus Leeds 2014? <laughs> no, I, I had it on my list and it, it lost out the last minute. But yeah. It's a good one. It's a good, it's a good one. Um, it's obviously with our favourite manager, Mr. Hockaday. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, he's uh, beginning um, not <laughs> of his very short tenure, tenure at uh, Leeds. Uh, so this was the first season that the, the chairman, Marcelino Cellino, uh, was Leeds chairman. Uh, so he decided to organise a pre-season tour to Italy. Bit of a no-brainer there. Uh, they were due to play a Romanian team called uh, Vittorio Costanda in Italy. Don't know why they decided to, to do a friendly against a Romanian team, but anyway. Uh, they, they did a no-show. So, so obviously the the manager didn't want to let down the fans that were there. So um, he decided to sort of do split the Leeds squad into two and do a Leeds versus Leeds. It's a bit unorthodox, um, splitting the, like I say, splitting it into two with three twenty-minute sets <laughs> slash halves. Um, it ended up being three-one to Leeds. <laughs> Which leads? Uh, well, we don't know. We'll never know. Oh, the reserves. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a lot, a lot of Leeds fans say that was his best decision he ever made at Leeds. So, um, is that one of his four wins as Leeds manager? <laughs> I think he probably class it as one. <laughs> they did. So, they, yeah, spent, they spanked someone in the same pre-season, didn't they? Like sixteen nil or something. Yeah, he's on that same one. Yeah, there's another team that they did before. Um, yeah, they won 16 now with some amateur team. Um, yeah, so I put them at number eight. I just thought it'd be a nice little jokey one. I read about it and it made me laugh, but in all seriousness, I think teams do it all the time where they have like half their squad against the other half in training. All right then, Dan, what, what have you got at number eight then that's going to top your number nine? Well, maybe, maybe it doesn't, but um, my number eight, I've gone for Aylesbury versus England. Oh, yeah, that's my number six. Uh, I haven't got that on the list. That was a special mention for me. Yeah, okay. So uh, this one took place on the, the 5th of June, 1988. Uh, it was a, a month after the season had finished. And um, it was arranged in a hurry, and some of the Aylesbury players had to cut their holidays short to come back and play the match. 
Uh, apparently it came about after a reporter called Frank McGee. Um, he was a supporter of Aylesbury. That was his local team. He was, they were on a flight back from an international game in Turkey. And he made the suggestion on the flight to Bobby Robson that they play a friendly against Aylesbury. And um, it, the theory behind it was that if, if England win handsomely, then it would boost their confidence. So <laughs> Robson went, went along with it. Aylesbury had just been promoted from the Beza Homes League into the uh, Vauxhall Conference. And uh, England fielded a full-strength team and smashed them 7-0, with Peter Beardsley scoring four goals, and Lineker, Dave Watson, and Trevor Stephen chipping in with one apiece. But um, the theory about boosting confidence, it didn't really help them, because England went to Euro 88, and they lost every match to <laughs> Republic of Ireland, the Netherlands, and the Soviet Union. Yeah, yeah. I read that. I, I, I got it. was played in front of 6,000 fans, that paid £6 to £10 for the admission. In an interview, Gary Nicker couldn't even remember whether he played in the match or not. <laughs> That's how much he was bothered by it. That's nice, isn't it? I think he was playing at Barcelona at the time, so, OK. Mm. Um, I find this guy, uh, the Aylesby's top scorer, has possibly got one of the best names. That's Cliff Hercules. Fantastic name, I thought. Yeah, and he's local. And um, his celebration was the duck walk. I don't know if you ever know the game show, They Think It's All Over. It's featured in that. I remember that. (laughs) All right. uh, My number eight, I've gone Man City versus Torino in 1961. Oh, okay. All right. What was strange about that one? Yeah. So this uh, happened following Dennis Law's transfer uh, from City to Torino in 1961. And his first match for the Italians was to prove to be a disappointing start to a disappointing short spell for the Scot. Uh, so on Wednesday, the 7th of June, 1961, in a friendly in Turin, uh, the two sides turned out and Law turned out for Man City to start with for the first half. Um, he scored a goal and then torrential rain waterlogged the pitch. Um, the second half saw him turn out for Torino. Um, but because of the state of the pitch, his debut for the club lasted a couple of minutes before the game was called off. Um, Dennis Law assumed at half-time that the, the match hadn't been abandoned because everyone wanted to see him in Torino colours. Uh, then he found out the real reason. If they hadn't at least started the second half, they would have had to give the spectators the money back. <laughs> no, I like that. No, that's good. OK. Uh, Chris, what's your number seven? My well, number seven is Bamba Bridge versus Czech Republic, 1996. It's, it's, it's another one I've left off. It's a good shout. Okay, I, mean, I, did, it, I did see it. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I, I quite like it, like these sorts of ones. It's, it's quite funny. Um, like I say, this was a warm-up game for Euro 96. Uh, Preston North End were actually initially approached to play this game, but for one reason or another, they, couldn't, they didn't want to do it. So back in those days, they... They even passed the number on for Czech Republic to con- contact Bamber Bridge as they were closer to Old Trafford, which was the first game of the Euros that the Czech Republic were going to play. And that was against Germany. Um, so the hotel manager of where the Czech Republic was staying contacted the Bamber Bridge, in brackets, chairman, groundskeeper, kit man and secretary 
Reese Rigby, if they fancied a game, he actually said he about dropped the phone and thought it was a prank at first. Um, and then obviously said, yes, please, we'll t- do that. Uh, so <laughs> 2,100 people turned up for the match. Uh, Czech Republic fielded a full-strength team with Carol Baborski, Patrick Berger, Smitsa and Nedved all playing. And just to put things in a bit of perspective here, that a real David and Goliath affair it was, that the Czech Republic had at that time 237,000 registered players that played football, whilst Bamba Bridge was a village with a population of only 12,000. So it was a real David and Goliath match, which unfortunately ended up 9-1. But I think the biggest cheer was when the Bamba Bridge scored their goal, I think, at that time to make it 3-1. And that's all I've got for it, to be honest. So if you can add anything else, that would be most appreciated. Uh, just a couple of small items. Um, apparently, Bamber Bridge, they were so uh, humbled to have the fixture that all of the fans applauded the Czech national anthem. Yeah. yeah when you think right. about it, it's a real throwback to uh, like 1930s football. It doesn't really happen anymore. In fact, you even get some booing nowadays during national yeah. anthems. And, um, but also, there was, um, uh, not, not surprisingly, there was a non-aggression pact in, in playing the match where... Bamber Bridge weren't allowed to sort of tackle hard or anything, so they always had to sort of play the way out of trouble, playing, <laughs> trying to pass the way out of trouble and playing football, <laughs> which is quite amusing. <laughs> uh, but I just, I just added as well that um, the, the Czechs um, they did well at Euro '96 after this friendly. They, they, they won the friendly nine-one, and then they they beat Italy, Portugal, and France along the way to the final of Euro '96, yeah. where they lost out to the golden goal by Germany. Perhaps England needs to start playing Bamber Bridge. Yeah. Yeah, not and all, Yeah, and also um Bamber Bridge were denied promotion to the conference due to facilities weren't suitable. Yeah. So to, to mention that it's not suitable for the conference. <laughs> but yeah, the Czech Republic played there and <laughs> I found that a bit of a Yeah, maybe like. a take. Alright, yeah, it's a good one. Uh, so my number seven is Fluminense under 23 versus Exeter. Yeah, that's my number five. So oh, okay. if you would like to go ahead with it. This dates back to 1914 um, on a pre-season tour of Argentina. The Devon team stopped off in Brazil. Uh, rather than travel to Sao Paulo, they chose to play in Rio, Rio de, de Janeiro, uh, unwittingly basically inventing the Brazilian national team as a mixture of players from the two largest football states in Brazil were forced to come together to create the uh, Selecal, I think I pronounced that right, basically selection in Portuguese, uh, which to this day remains the Brazilian national team's nickname. Obviously, 100 years later, Exeter were invited back to recreate the match and they played in front of 600 invited guests. Exeter had uh, two goals disallowed in a draw, which manager... Paul Tisdale described as fair, um, and it finished nil-nil. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a great friendly in terms of um, what happened on the pitch, but again, no. it's like the 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 Notts County Juventus one, you know, this tiny little English club which haven't really ever done much of playing in South America against you know big teams and created history, didn't they? Really? Yeah, effectively. Well, birth the Brazilian national team. Which is mental, isn't it? 
And I mean, the the, se- the season after, Exeter played Fluminense under 19s, but they lost two 0 at uh, Exeter. <laughs> so never quite got their uh, revenge. <laughs> I mean, they're playing like the under 12s this this preseason. <laughs> well, COVID restrictions. And, um, oh yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> Now I found that quite quite a nice one to put in, wasn't it? You know, with the whole hundred year history and all that. All right then, Dan, what's your number six? Uh number six I've gone for Arsenal versus Dynamo Moscow. <sighs> number one. I thought I was the only one that was gonna find this one. This is my number two. Oh. I only found this on one website and I thought there's no way they would have looked on here. And oh, there we are. I will level with you. I've got this book called Strangest Football Matches. Oh, okay. <laughs> How have you not come up with this top 10? <laughs> don't know. I forgot I had the book, to be honest. That's See, unbelievable. The first, feel, the first ever top 10 I feel cheated on. And <laughs> it feels like I've got dirty hands. I can't stop having blood on my hands. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, well, we'll come to that one later then. Uh, Chris, what was your number six? Uh, mine was England, so we did that. England okay, right, on to me then. So I've gone with Aston Villa versus Rangers in 1976. Ooh, I haven't got that one. No. So uh, Aston Villa arranged a friendly on Saturday, October the 9th, 1976, to fill what would have been a blank international weekend for the club. The friendly was against uh, Scottish Championship uh, Scottish Champions Rangers. Scots fans, many of whom were a bit pissed up, pretty politely, <laughs> descended on Birmingham, causing problems in the city centre, even before kick-off. Uh, and then at, at the ground, missiles were thrown onto the pitch. There were pitch invasions, battles with the police, which left over 100 spectators injured. There were stabbings, and there was a similar number of, arrested, uh, similar number of people arrested. Um, with Villa leading 2-0, the match was finally abandoned in, in the 53rd minute. And I'm pretty sure Rangers have found it a bit more difficult to play friendly south of the border ever since. Well, it? It's a friendly and it's kicking off. There's not even any like um, bad blood or history with them either, is there? No. It's just an English like Scotland thing, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, so number five, uh, Christopher. Um what you said, the Exeter game. Okay. Dan? All right, number five, I've gone for the Dallas Tornado World Tour. Oh, mine, that's my number two. That's my number one. <laughs> All right. <laughs> was, that, was that from your book, by any chance, Dan? <laughs> it, it wasn't, actually, no, that one. Yeah, okay, that's fine. <laughs> I've, I've written quite a lot on that one. Yeah, it needs to be, be said, really. I'll, I'll be honest, we're doing it a disservice doing it in the top 10, to be honest. Yeah, I I think we need to try and find somebody from that and have an interview with them. It would be very <laughs> interesting. Might have a chance. Anyway. Um, my number five was not to count to Juventus, so we're back to you again, Chris. Oh, number four. This is going quick. Um, I've gone with Plymouth for Real Madrid, 2006. This hotel gate. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I left it off my list at the last minute, but it is a good one. Um, what about you, Dan? Is it on your list or did you leave it out? I left this one out. Okay, cool. So basically, um, Fabio Capello became new manager of Real Madrid, decided to go on a last minute tour in Austria. Uh, he 
he then tried to go into a hotel that he's previously stayed at. Unfortunately, Plymouth were there, and obviously good old Ian Holloway was manager there at the time. Um, and understandably, they were quite reluctant to leave and disrupt their pre-season. Heading by, headed by Ian Holloway, they certainly didn't roll over to this, but they, they agreed to make way for Real Madrid. Um, and as a bit of gratitude, they said, OK, we'll give you a friendly. So um, at a small ground of 12,000 people attended, uh, I've got a quote from one of the Plymouth fans saying, we beat Tiverton last week. I don't see why we should be afraid of Real Madrid. Um, the game ended up 1-0, dubious penalty conceded by uh, ex-Leicester player Lillian Nalas. Remember him, Dan? Yeah. Um, scored by uh, Julio Batista um, at Real. Real did actually have quite a strong team out that night. They had uh, Woodgate, Ivan Halguera, um, Antonio Cassano and Guti. But yeah, I just thought I'd put it that, that high because it's just... So funny that they bartered over hotels for a football game, basically, <laughs> against them. And and yet, only Real only managed to win 1-0. Yeah, that's a good shout, that one. Yeah, it's good. Okay. Go on, then, Dan. <laughs> uh, so, we're on to number four. Yeah. All right, so this one's dating back to oh, 1898. <laughs> 1898? Is this from your book again? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and it involves Leicester Foss. Uh, so, went on to be known oh as Leicester God. City. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, there was a a circus in Leicester, a uh, travelling circus <laughs> that came to Leicester. And they issued a challenge to Leicester Foss. And the challenge was that they had an elephant that, <laughs> that was unbeaten in penalty competitions. <laughs> what? <laughs> Are you sure you're not just making this up? I'm not, say, I'm not making this up. <laughs> need to borrow this book off you. So, um, yeah, the challenge was to have a penalty competition with an elephant. And um, there were four Leicester players that agreed to do this. And the football was six times the size of a regular football. It was really big to favour the elephant. And uh, apparently the elephant was undefeated in penalty competitions to this point. <laughs> so it went against the first Leicester, three Leicester players. And the elephant won. And then a Leicester player called William Keach spotted that from the run-up that the players took, the elephant could predict which side the ball was going to go. So he had the clever idea of feigning to hit the ball into one corner and then hitting it into the other. And uh, he was actually the the elephant's undoing. And he won 3-2 in penalty shootouts that consisted of four penalties each. Wow. I feel like Paul Pilkin <laughs> reading Monkey News. Wow. <laughs> oh, right, okay. Um, I feel like we're at a disadvantage this, uh, this I, episode. I, do, mate. I, I thought some of my picks tonight were shit hot and then Dan's walked the book out of nowhere. It's like, <laughs> it's, like the, <laughs> it's like the strangest book Bible we've got here, going back to like 1902. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's all sorts in there, to be honest. There's one match with gas masks. <laughs> okay. Uh, my number four, bringing it back to slightly more present day. Uh, <laughs> Oxford versus West Ham in 1994. 
Yes, it was considered. It's a good story. I thought it might. Um, so, 1994, West Ham, ravaged by injuries, took, only, uh, took a young side to Oxford for a friendly. Uh, near the dugout was a die-hard Hammers fan from Milton Keynes called Steve Davies. Uh, he was giving it the big end to Harry all through the first half. And eventually, at half-time, Harry's had enough. And he says to this fan, are you as good as you, good as you talk? Because you're coming on for Lee Chapman. And apparently an assistant from the commentary box came down to ask who this new chap was. And Redknapp's response was, he's a new Bulgarian sign-in by the name of Titishev. <laughs> so <laughs> this Steve Davis, he goes on the pitch and he actually scores a goal. But he was actually two yards offside. Uh, West Ham will win the game anyway. Um, and poor old Steve doesn't even get to keep the shirt he wore as they needed it for the next game. Oh my God, really? That's tight, man. I know. I felt a bit sorry oh, for him. I would love to see the finish. <laughs> yeah, I, I tried to find it, but it was, I think it was behind closed doors. So I don't think there's actually any record that he scored. That's, that's something like you'd see at a film, though, isn't it? You know, you come onto the pitch for your team <laughs> scoring the goal. Was that friendly arranged as part of the Jerry Beecham transfer? Uh, I, I don't know. I didn't find Sounds about the same sort of time, doesn't it? Actually, no. Actually, think about it. The Guardian article I read, I think his name was mentioned. So, yeah, it probably was something to do with that. All right. Uh, Chris, what's your number three? My number three. Right, then. This is the Club Rouge one, mate. So, okay. Club Rouge versus Atali Galatai. Okay, so we can work together with this one. In yep. 2000. Right. So, what number was this for you, Anne, again? Uh, this is my number nine. So this friendly was held at Stainton Park. So this was home of non-league Radcliffe Borough. It was okay. going to be be recorded on Romanian national TV as well. Radcliffe Cliff's pit was declared dangerous. So the two sides ended up playing on a make, makeshift replacement pitch next to a golf course. I haven't got too much information on this. But I know that the players arrived onto the pitch um, on golf buggies, which were then made as temporary stands around the pit. Around the pitch, I've seen a pit. I've seen a picture of where it, the pitch was actually lying, and it was just behind the tenth hole. And that's no, that's no lie either. I'll, I'll put the picture on Twitter to show where it was. Um, so the the golf course was used as player and supporters lounge. Ended up being two one to Club Rouge, and the location was actually Mottram Hall Golf Club, Presbury in Cheshire. That's my point number three because it's just the most random thing, isn't it? That they decided to put two professional clubs onto basically a park pitch. I don't know why they were playing at Radcliffe Borough's pitch anyway. No, All the pitches exactly. in England. Even yeah, in Europe, questions about this. <laughs> yeah, this like, it's on international TV in the in country. In Romania, what? That Romania, <laughs> and and it's involving Club Bruges, which is quite a biggest club around. It's one of the biggest. It's the biggest Belgium club for the last few years, and it's just madness, isn't it? And then they got buggies to make stands so people could go and watch it. It's just. It's just madness, and that's why I put it at number three because it's just it could only happen in a friendly, couldn't it? Come on, <laughs> yeah. Rules are just thrown out of the window. <laughs> yeah, I like that one. And like you said, there's so many unanswered questions. Why was it at this 
Ratcliffe Borough pitch anyway. Why couldn't it be in Belgium or Romania? It's madness. <laughs> I actually had it a bit higher up to start with and I moved it down and I kind of wish I kept it where it was. Yeah, it's just talking so about you guys. It, it does. Like, there's so many more questions. Yeah, so many inconsistencies. You know, it's that. Uh, okay, Dan, what's your number three? All right, my number three is uh, Japanese New Year football tradition. So what they do is um, at the start of the year they get three professional J League players to play against 100 kids on a full size pitch. And the challenge is that the first score a goal. So um, these these kids, in in true Japanese fashion, they uh, line up in a formation, which is 10 goalkeepers, 30 defenders, 30 midfielders and 30 strikers. And then the professionals try and keep the ball and somehow vein off all these masses of kids running around. Um, I watched one of the matches on YouTube and um, the pros quickly learned that the best way to win is to take the aerial route over these small kids and um eventually they managed to win a corner and they scored from a headed goal and won 1-0 and these it was funny watching it. these kids they just sunk to their knees in disappointment they were trying so hard but it's just absolutely mental it needs to, to be honest the professional players needed Boris Johnson because you know what he's like with, with like when he played rugby that time with that poor lad where he just hand tackled gave hand him a hand off yeah. Japanese are a bit more dignified than Boris Johnson. <laughs> Most people are to prefer. <laughs> okay, my number three, uh, equally as weird, um, is Irish side Cabin Teeley versus Muse, the band. Yes, that was that was one of mine, but I thought you might not allow it because it's a charity game, but I'm happy you, you put it. So, League of Ireland first division side Kevin Teeley deems Muse the perfect op- uh, opponents to kickstart their 2016 season. Uh, bassist Chris Wolstenholm was the only actual member of the group to line up uh, at Dublin's Kilboggart Park. Um, the rest of the team consisted of family and crew members. Uh, although the Irishman initially took little mercy, going in at half time 7 2 up, they eased off in the second period to let Wolstenholm and co. Mount an unlikely nine-eight comeback. <laughs> and that's um, yeah, that's pretty much all I have on that. It's a very strange, strange friendly. Yeah, yeah, it is weird. Right then, on to the business end now. Number two, my number two is the Dallas one, but I think you should do that. Is that's your number one? Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I'll I'll let you two do Arsenal Dynamo between you. I'll let I'll let Dan Dan start with that. Yeah, okay. Where was Dynamo for you, Dan? Was he number five? Number six. Number six, okay. Okay. So um, it was in 1945. Uh, the match was uh, played at White Hart Lane because uh, Highbury was being used for what well, was being used during the war. And uh, being a high profile friendly match with the team coming over from Soviet Union, Arsenal actually fielded a couple of high profile uh, players that didn't belong to their club, um, namely Stanley Matthews and Stan Mortison, who were Blackpool players at the time. They turned out for Arsenal in this game. Now, it was quite a high-profile high friendly, but unfortunately, there was very thick fog that day. Uh, but because of the profile of the match, the referee insisted that the match goes ahead, despite uh, requests from players to abandon the game. Uh, the visibility, apparently, was down to just a couple of yards, so it was extremely thick fog. 
Um, the, some, a matter that also led to problems during the game was that the referee insisted on the Russian method of officiating, which meant that linesmen were not diagonal. They were both on the same side of the pitch. So you had one side of the pitch with no assistant referee whatsoever with this thick fog at the same time. So uh, problems this caused was um, you had Dynamo Moscow taking full advantage of the situation where they'd make substitutions with no players leaving the pitch. But at one point, they were accused of having 15 players on the pitch and Arsenal retaliated by sending a load of subs on from their bench as well. Uh, there was Moscow who had a player sent off at one stage, but he just later returned to the pitch without the referee noticing. Uh, players were committing fouls and then quickly just running around and going back into the fog before the referee had a chance to identify and punish them. And just when you thought the game couldn't get any more ridiculous, uh, at one point the Arsenal keeper managed to knock himself out by running into a goalpost and uh, <laughs> placed him in goal. Uh, eventually, Moscow finished the game 4-3 winners, but uh, obviously there were complaints from Arsenal that they were offside during their goals. But yeah, it was just um, an absolute farce of a match that shouldn't have taken place really. Absolute shambles. I heard that one of the supporters took the place of the goalkeeper as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. And then they said there was a dubious... uh, Offside for the winning goal, but like you said, it's probably dubious. All the goals, oh, yeah, see anything, just madness, just absolute madness. Oh, yeah, crazy game. I actually watched something on YouTube, and they said, like, the guy, the commentator, the guy who did the highlight, said, and uh, Arsenal met Mo- Dynamo Moscow. They said, well, they didn't work, really meet them, they'll never recognize them again due to the fade <laughs> in the fog. <laughs> I like that. in their very posh voice that they would have. I thought that was quite a good good thing to put, but just an absolute farcical game. Madness. <laughs> so that That's was your number uh, yeah, that was number six, Dan. Your number one, Chris. Um yeah. my number two. <laughs> my number two, I've gone for Barbados versus Grenada. I've read this one. Is this the 1994 or something like that? Yeah, 1994. Um, yeah. It's a Caribbean Cup or Gold Cup uh, qualification match. Now, just want to stress that this tournament is not recognised by FIFA, so it's not an official match. None of them I think are. that's why I left it off, because I thought it was an official game. Same, yeah. I, I read it and I was like, oh my gosh. And then I was like, oh, but it's a, yeah, it's a trophy. Gold cup. Um, there's teams like Guadalupe, which aren't recognised by FIFA, which compete in the tournament. So it's none of oh, it's okay. by FIFA. And um, I'll come back to this point as I read on. Now, in this match, um, Barbados, it, it basically it's a group stage and it's the final match of the group stage. Now, Barbados needs to beat Grenada by two clear goals to progress. Otherwise, Grenada will go through in their place. And Barbados were winning 2-0 and they had the two-goal cushion that they needed. But towards the end, in the 83rd minute, Grenada got a goal back, which meant that Grenada would now advance. Now, not being recognised by FIFA, this tournament actually had some strange rules in place. And one of these rules is that every match has to have a winner, like MLS style. If, if the games are tied, it goes to extra time or overtime. So um, that was the case for this group stage game, where Barbados, they need to win by two clear goals. And... Seven minutes left in the match. They've only got a one-goal advantage. 
So they decide we'll get more time to get that extra goal if it goes to extra time. So with only a few minutes left in the game, Barbados decide to score an own goal to get them that more time. (laughs) So in the 87th minute, they deliberately score an own goal and take the game to 2-2. Now, by this point, Grenada realised what Barbados was scheming, that they wanted the the extra time to give them more time, and that they realised if they themselves scored an own goal, then Barbados would only win by one goal, and that would not be enough for Barbados to go through. So in the last three minutes of this game, Barbados had to defend both goals. Now, just to make the rules of this tournament even more questionable, if it does go to extra time and a team scores a golden goal, the golden goal counts as two goals. So it just gives even more incentive for Barbados to score their own goal, which is ridiculous. As it happened, it did go to extra time and Barbados did score the next goal and it gave them that two-goal cushion to go through to the next phase of the competition. Just ridiculous. Oh, it, they it, have to go along out there, don't they? <laughs> yeah. uh, after the game, I've got a quote here from the Grenadian manager, James Clarkson, which, which sums it up, really. I feel cheated. The person who came up with the rules must be a candidate for a madhouse. The game should never be played with so many players running around a field confused. Our players did not even know which direction to attack, our goal or their goal. I've never seen this happen before in football. In football, you are supposed to score against the opponents to win. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. So, yeah, I, I just had to put that high up my list because that is mental. I think if it, had I known that it was a, a friendly tournament, I would have included it myself. That's yeah. a good one. Okay. Um, Chris, your number one was Arsenal Moscow. Uh, Dan, have we had your number one? Go on then. No one's mentioned my number one. So well, my number one book that you've got. No, 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 no. In fact, you'll you'll know this one. It took place in 1914. Uh, Joe, you know I thought of this one earlier as, as we were talking you know about it, and it came to me. Yeah, this is a good one. So yeah, it's uh, during the First World War. And there was a temporary armistice for Christmas Day. And there were roughly 100,000 British and German troops that had an informal ceasefire. And um, really, it was, the, it was the realization of exhausted soldiers who wanted to go home that they were fighting in a politician's war. And uh, they ended up playing a friendly match of football on Christmas Day in no man's land. People that were trying to kill each other uh, the day before and then the day after as well. It's mm. absolutely absurd. Um, I remember uh, my, my wife, she used to teach in Japan for a while and she explained this story to a bunch of Japanese students and they just couldn't believe it. They said that that would never happen in Japan. <laughs> Probably wouldn't. Yeah, yeah you, you, met, you I think you were talking about, I think it was your Willie Arsenal one earlier and I suddenly thought, oh, the trench is friendly. Yeah. I've missed this one off. Yeah. I actually thought about that one, but I thought that's a li- looking out the, the box a little bit, but I wish I kept put it in there. Uh, yeah, so that's a couple more notes. Uh, there, were, there were carols sung, there were candles lit and gifts were exchanged. Uh, they didn't all have football, so apparently they were, they were kicking things like tin cans around during these matches. Um, there's reports on who won and lost, but actually um, I think there was more than one game that actually took place. There were several across different regions. But um, the, the main one 
uh, that uh, seems to be reported was that the Germans won 3-2. And uh, yeah, really, it's um, kind of heartwarming that in such uh, yeah. horrific times that they had this, uh, this break from it all and uh, people enjoyed the day. Just makes you wonder how they arranged it. Because, you know, if, if you were an English soldier in the trench and a German said, do you want a game of football? You'd be like, OK, what's yeah, the trap? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's mind-boggling, really. It's incredible. All right, then. Uh, my number one. Um, I'll, I'll read what I've got, and then you two can fill in the blanks if I missed anything. So this was the Dallas Tornado World Tour of 1967 to 1968. Uh, they played 32 games across five continents in 26 countries over a seven-month period. Um, from Spain in August to Honduras in March via Christmas in Tokyo and New Year in Manila. Um, this was as globetrotting as it got. Um, whilst in Cyprus, they went sightseeing to the Acropolis. And the team were delayed heading to the airport and missed their flight from Athens to Nicosia by half an hour. Luckily, luckily for them, uh, the flight exploded at 29,000 feet after a bomb was detonated under a seat, killing 63 people. Its intended target was the Greek Army General Georgios Scrivas, who had also missed the flight and later travelled to Nicosia on the same plane as the Tornado team. You wouldn't want to be on that plane, would you? Um, they then did a tour of Tehran and various other regions of um, Iran, Featuring a game with the Iranian Air Force, and they lost 2-1. They then made their way through Pakistan, playing some games, and they had to catch a rickety old bus to the border of India, walk the last 400 yards amid various protesters, get through passport control, and then they were greeted with garlands of flowers at their feet in India. Uh, some of the non-Commonwealth players couldn't enter as, as there was a visa problem, so they were made to wait in a tiny hut in the Bengali jungle. Eventually, the, the visas arrived after, I think, about a day, um, but they're only valid for 24 hours. And by 10 minutes to midnight, before they expired, they managed to convince a guard to help them. And he took them off into the jungle, cut a hole in the fence, and his players finally entered India on the fear of they're either going to get eaten by a tiger or shot by a, a sniper. Um the tour briefly got back on track with a 4-1 victory against India 11, but a 4-2 defeat in Singapore was marred by fans stoning the team at full time, screaming, Yankee, go home, in what effectively turned into a riot. During the game, a player on the Singapore team even took a corner flag out and attacked a Dallas player with it. Having, having escaped that fiasco, the team moved on to Vietnam, where the small matter of the Vietnam War was well underway. And the Dallas team managed two draws, playing in Saigon just 45 days before the start of the Tet Offensive. It was obviously a major movement in the Vietnam War. Uh, this six-month warm-up consisted of 32 games. Unsurprisingly, the team was absolutely exhausted and their season was a disaster. They won four, lost 26, and ended on a goal difference of minus 81. <laughs> Unbelievable, wasn't it? Nothing to add. Yeah, I've got... Obviously, there it was under it was owned under the um, the oil tycoon Lamar Hunt, who has I think um, things with the Super Bowl. Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, um, there was sixteen players I've got here consisting in the whole squad. There was seven Englishmen, 
Four Norwegians, two Swedes, two Dutch, and only one American. So they're going on this massive tour. So they go, right then, we'll need one coach, and that's it. So they had no medical staff, no physios. And as they put on the the, the article that I read, and no idea what how, how the trip would end. So they've gone out, it's just one coach slash manager, and that's it. No no physio or anything. So one player got injured, that's it. You're done. It's just mental, isn't it? Six months. I think the the coach was Hungarian. He went, he went to the same school as Puskas or something. Yes, yes, I read that. Yeah. And then, like you said, after all of that practice and all of uh, the travelling, they ended up having a shocking season anyway. So. Yeah. And almost got killed about three times, like dodging the dodging. Well, it's, the... it's odd that they went to Vietnam in the height of a war. They were literally dodging um, dodging bullets, weren't they? On the yeah. boat on the way down. Apparently, there were, there were locals on scooters that were armed with hand grenades just going around the streets of the capital, Saigon. So it's incredibly dangerous. And that was in 1967. The war didn't end until 1975. It's just, so much hatred towards Americans. It was mental. And, and the funny thing was that there weren't even, there's only one American on the team. <laughs> yeah, but when they're under that name, Dallas Tornadoes, they, they don't That's see That's the that. problem, yeah. They were all under 21 years old as well. <laughs> no. um, okay, any special mentions? I've uh, gone through my special mentions, mate, so... Uh, I, I didn't make a list of any, but the, there was one I came across in my uh, my little book where it was, um, I think going back to the 1930s, it was a match of uh, women versus men with one hand tied behind their back. What? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I know. It's awful, isn't it? <laughs> um, I only had, well, aside from the ones we've already mentioned, I only had two. One was Marlowe versus Q8, which finished 3-2 to Q8. Yeah. And then the one which made me even think of this list, which we've not mentioned, um, was Heaton Stannington versus Gabon. Oh, yeah, I did think of that one. We've really had a Banyaman playing for Gabon, didn't we? That's what prompted me to come up with this list. And then, obviously, <laughs> looking into it, I was like, that's actually quite boring. <laughs> I've got someone yeah. on the socials if you want to hear yeah. some of these. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking forward to these, actually. Okay, so there's a few, so bear with me, okay? Okay, uh, Rodney McCain, he started off with Linfield versus Argentina, the world champions at the time, <laughs> at Windsor Park, Belfast, on April the 3rd, 1990. Wow. Uh, Argentina scored after four minutes and didn't score again. The Irish League champions, part-time players, more than matched their illustrious visitors thereafter. And then um, the Stu and Al pod, Stu from the Stu and Al pod said um, the one where Real Madrid played Shamrock Rovers. Yeah, I saw that one, yeah. Yeah. Uh, then we've got uh, Retro Football Network. They said Elsby versus England in the late 80s and Arsenal versus France around the same time or slightly after. Um, Chris Kelly, who's a regular, uh, put Grimsby Town versus Japan in 1971. <laughs> That's a good one. I know that one. Um, then um, from the stands um, podcast, our friends there, 
They said Accrington Stanley beating Marseille, a pre-season friendly. I think that was 2-1 in 2019. Yeah, I saw that one. I saw a picture where it had um, like a road traffic sign saying, Key Sontils, <laughs> who are they? That was it. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Um, then Chris uh, Stonehenge, he put uh, Knox County played Juventus in 2011, which we said. Yeah. And he said it's Neil Bishop versus Alessandro Del Piero, which is quite right. Uh, Colin Dunn put Linfield versus East Germany and Linfield versus Kenya. Mm, they got about a bit, didn't they? And they did. There's more. Um, then Jason Robb has put Lingfield versus Argentina, which I think <laughs> was said above. Yeah, 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 which was said by Rodney. And then he said some more. Um, so again, we've gone, yeah, Jason Robb, he's gone St. Kitts and Nevis versus Northern Ireland. And then Colin Dunn has then said, um, South Korea versus Ghana at Easter Road. Um, I think that's about all we've got for that. But again, quite a lot there to go with. Yeah, none, none of the ones that we mentioned. Yeah. More of an international flavour there. Oh, yeah. Really yeah. Good. yeah, exactly. Well, no, thank you very much, everyone that joined in. Um, I'll give you our email and uh, Twitter handles as well. If you've got any lists or anything that you want to put, or any of your own lists, um, please uh, email us at var at the bar 2020 at gmail.com. Or our Twitter handle is var at the bar one, or Facebook var at the bar. Um, like I say, any list that you want us to do or anything that, that you want to add on, then please let us know and we'll give you a shout out. Uh, thank you, Chris. Uh, Dan, let's have a bit of fancy football. Yeah, okay. So fantasy football then. Between the three of us in our in our league, uh, Ant, you're leading the three of us. You're in 22nd position with a total of 1,059 points. Chris, you're in second place out of us three. Uh, 28th place in the lead in the league with uh, 1,013 points. And I'm catching you, Ant. Yeah, getting closer. And I, I'm I, I had a bad week, to be fair. So. <laughs> And I'm in 32nd place with 996 points. Oh, not even hit the thousands yet, Dan. Oh, no. It's annoying because um, the last time I gave these updates, the positions were the same. But in between, I did actually go ahead of Chris. And then I just had a stinker this week and he's gone back ahead of me. Consistency is the key, my friend. Yeah, that's my problem at the minute, I think. Uh, overall, in first place, it's our good old friend, Clerk de Cruz, with his lockdown 11. He's on 1,246 points. But his lead has been cut down to just 17 points ahead of Deportivo La Coruña. Um, but it really is a two-horse race between uh, Clerk de Cruz and Adam Porter at the minute. Uh, the team of the week this week goes to Luke Cameron, again. His team name is Spookus. He got 81 points in what was a pretty low-scoring week. But he had Gundogan as his captain this week. So he got 28 points from Gundogan alone, which is basically as much as my whole team this week. (laughs) Uh, He also had John Stones getting him six points. Aaron Cresswell got him five points after another assist. 
Uh, Raheem Sterling got 11 points. Jack Grealish, 8 points. And he had Thomas Suchek with 15 points after his brace. So that is fantasy football. And the referee points the spot. I don't think you'll ever see a more blatant penalty. It's Lillian Nallis, whose hand meets the ball. And I think Plymouth players will have a look at the replay of this. And they will have no arguments. And it'll be Julio Baptista who will step up and take the spot kick. I believe it is Luke McCormick's actually stayed on for the second half. So Hilary trying to save this as Julio Bautista takes. And Julio Bautista puts it in the back of the net as Real Madrid take a 1-0 lead in this first preseason friendly against Plymouth Argyle. Right, so quiz time. Dan, can you remind me of the scores? I believe it's 8-6-3. Okay. Right, 15 questions. Um, they're all quite varied. There's a couple of gamble ones, as always. So, start off nice and easy. Okay, right. So, there's out, out of 92 league teams, there's 12 whose full name are, are unique. So, I'm not looking for an Arsenal or Everton or anything like that. I'll give you an example of one that's not unique, and that's Sheffield Wednesday's not unique because there's a Sheffield United. Okay, yeah, go, yeah. So how many do you think you can get? And I'm going to come to Chris first. I'll go with three. So, Chris, you said three? Uh, Four. Dan, you do your four, please. Uh, Fulham? No. No? All right. I'm going with Crew Alexandra. Yeah, well done, Chris. Thank you very much. Who, who are the other two out of interest? Uh, Plymouth Argyle. Yeah. No, I was going to say Nottingham Forest, but they got Forest Green, so no. Queen's Park Rangers. Yeah, that's another one. Really? There's no other Rangers in, in 92, out of the 92. Yeah. Well, what were all the answers anyway? Um, well, actually, you just made me realise that... Um, Forest Green have come up since this quiz was also invented, so Nottingham Forest isn't one of them. <laughs> that wouldn't have mattered. Uh, Port Vale, Crystal Palace, Crew Alexandra, Aston Villa, Tottenham Hotspur, Plymouth Argyle, QPR, Preston North End, Leighton Orient, MK Dons, and Accrington Stanley. Oh, Accrington Stanley, of course, yeah. Right then. Question number two. Who played their first home league game at Anfield in nineteen? In, sorry, in eighteen eighty-eight. Everton. Well done, Chris. You always start fast, though. I do. I do. I do. Okay, which team plays home matches at Roots Hall? South End. Yeah. Two-one. Yeah. Right. Uh, so this is the gamble question. How many of Craig Bellamy teams can you name? Okay. And he's played for uh, nine, nine teams. 
Um, I'll come to Dan first. Five. Chris. I'll go six. Okay. Dan, any bonds? I'll go seven. Go on, I'll go eight. I'll let you name them, Chris. Okay. Chris. Norwich. Yep. Cough. Yep. Liverpool. Yep. Man City. Yep. Newcastle. Yep. Cardiff. Yep. Celtic. Yep. One more. I'm not 100% sure with this one. <laughs> I'm going to go with Villa. No, no. Oh, I'm the wrong. Villa's wrong. Dan? Can you tell me who Chris has given so far? Yeah, uh, he said Norwich, Coventry, Newcastle, Celtic, Liverpool, Man City, Cardiff. Blackburn? Yes. Was it West Ham, the other one? It was West Ham. You got the right colours. <laughs> ah, never mind. All right, so the scores are 2-2. Two, 2-2, two. Two, two. damage. Who is the only player to captain his team to the English top flight, uh, so to the English top flight title wins in three separate decades? Ryan Giggs? No. Alan Hansen? No. Tony Adams? Well done, Chris. Right. This is a quick fire round. I've tweaked it a bit this week after the last fiasco yet. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I want a yes or a no from both of you. Okay. And if you get the right answer, you get a point. And if you don't, you don't get a point. Okay, so do we go at the same time or just one at a time? Uh, yeah, perhaps if you can put a thumbs up or thumbs down so I can leave. Yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. do that. That's better, yeah. Right. Have the following players... Now, listen carefully to this question. Have the following players ever got an FA Cup winner's medal? Wayne Rooney. Yes. Yeah, you're both correct. Rio Ferdinand. Point to Dan. It's a no. Uh, Marcel Desailly. <laughs> can you say it as well as pointing so that the viewers can hear, listeners can hear? No. Yes. That's a point to Dan. So who said yes? Chris. Chris. Oh, sorry. No, it's a point to Chris. I do apologise. <laughs> Shay Given. No. Yes. It's a point to Chris. You got one on the bench at Man City. Uh, Dirk Cout. Yes. No. No. Was he not around for the Liverpool? No, he wasn't there. Uh, Paul McGrath. No. No. Yes. David James. No. Point to Dan. Portsmouth. Oh, yeah. And finally, Jamie Redknapp. No. No. 
correct. I thought that one would uh, catch him out, actually. He didn't get a medal, but he did actually lift the trophy. Oh. He was captain, but he didn't play all season. Oh, cheeky. I was hoping that one would catch you out, and you both... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> okay, question seven. Uh, it's another gamble question. Uh, how many of the eight stadiums used in Euro 96 can you name? And I'm going to come to Chris first. Uh, go with three to start off with, please. Yeah, I'll go five. Oh, you've gone up two. Come on, Chris. Can you do six? How, how many is it, do you say? How uh, many do you use? Eight. Eight. Yeah, I'll go six. Why not? I've got nothing to lose, have I? Dan, can you do seven? You're going to jump again and do the whole lot. <laughs> uh, I think you should after that cheekiness. <laughs> not even going up by ones. No, I'll let Chris name them. Okay. Uh, Chris, six stadiums using Euro 96. Okay, so that's Wembley. Yep. Old Trafford. Yep. Villa Park. Yep. St. James's Park. Yep. Oh, this is where it gets interesting. <laughs> Ellen Road. Yes. One more. One more. White Hart Lane. Why do you always fluff it in the final one? Open goal, isn't it? <laughs> no. Ah. Dan, can you snatch one for the win? Uh, I'm going to have a guess at Hillsborough. Um, yes, well done. So it's seven all. <laughs> so the full list was Wembley, Old Trafford, Anfield. Chris, I'm ashamed of you. Oh, um... Villa Park. <laughs> City Grounds, Ellen Road, St. James's Park, Hillsborough. Oh, for God's sake. Oh, moron. <laughs> <laughs> what <an> absolute moron. <laughs> Never mind. I was even willing to give a point if you said Etihad, even though technically it's a different stadium. <laughs> right. Um, question number eight. Uh, 11 teams have topped the Premier League after New Year's Day. One at a time. I want you to see how many you can name. Okay. And I'll start with Dan first. Arsenal. Yep. Leicester City. Yep. Blackburn. Yep. Liverpool. Yep. Man City. Yep. Man U. Yep. Newcastle. Yep. We're talking all time here or Premier League? Or... Premier League. I wouldn't make it that hard. There's three left, I think. I'll say Leeds. Yes. I'll go with Aston Villa. Correct. Good shout. Can you snatch one for the win, Chris? There's only one left. (laughs) There's only one left. Okay. Can you repeat which ones there have been? Is that all right? Yeah. Uh, Villa, Blackburn, Leeds, Newcastle, 
Man United, Arsenal, Leicester, Chelsea, City and Liverpool. Spurs? No. That's a point to Dan. It was actually Norwich. Norwich, no. You could have, I could have been here till midnight and wouldn't have got it. Really? So that, I guess that was the season when they finished third then? Yeah. The clue was, I didn't realise if the clue was actually in the order that I think I read them out. <laughs> I wouldn't have got it, mate, don't I? Who was the last club to win the Bundesliga other than Dortmund or Bayern? Hamburg? No. Kaiserslautern? No. It was in 2009. Stuttgart? No. It wasn't Leverkusen, was it? No. Werder Bremen? No. Cologne? No, you name nearly every other German city apart from. <laughs> You're going to kick yourself when you know the answer. Hertha uh, Berlin. No. Schalke. No. <laughs> Eintracht Frankfurt. No. I'll give you a clue. Go on. They were managed by an Englishman. At the time. I'm, or... fairly, sure they, I'm fairly sure they were. Yeah. Wolfsburg. Well done. I don't think that was at the time. <laughs> no, I don't think I was actually thinking about it. No, <laughs> I don't think right. Stephen Curran won the Bundesliga. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I, I knew they were managed by him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think he nearly got them relegated. <laughs> yeah, that's I think you're right. He won He won the Dutch league, didn't he? With, uh, yeah, 20, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay. All right. Question number 10. So this is a list of teams. You need to tell me who the player is. Uh, North Ferryby United, Hull, Aberdeen, Oxford, Bradford, Middlesbrough, Sheffield Wednesday, Sheffield United, Bradford, Hull. Dean Windows. Well done, Dan. Oh, he's doing Man City on here, Chris. He's coming back from the dead. I know. Does this all the time? It does my then. <laughs> okay, uh, this one's the hardest one tonight. Um, I'd be surprised if either of you get this. What happened in English football in 1936 that hasn't happened since? Was the league title shared? No. Good guess. No. You're on the right lines with the league title. Did it go to a Welsh team? No. Was it null and void? No. Um, it's got to do with kits. Ah, they have a third kit. No. They introduced away kits? No. The kits were the same and they couldn't play a game because it was a matching. No. Think of teams that have ever won the top flight title and think of their kits. So they had a, a badge, for, or they had stars on their shirts for how many times they'd won the league title? No. You're not a million miles away. Um. They introduced 
sponsors? No, that's a good guess, but no. That was the first kit with their um, actual team badge on it? No. Think of, uh, okay, think of style, styles of kit. Uh, short sleeve shirts? No. First kit with a V-neck. Oh, you're dangerously close, but no. The collar. No, it's got nothing to do with the collar. Think patterns. I, I, I wasn't expecting any of you to get this. I'll just put it in on the off chance of something you might know. I didn't know this until. I... No, I'm going to give up on that one. I give up. It was the last time a team with a striped home shirt were champions of England, and it's Sunderland. Oh my god. <laughs> that's brilliant that's a great question <laughs> right another who am I question uh, so he played for Bendel Insurance La Louvière Lille Locomotive Moscow West Brom Cardiff Stoke Bristol Rotherham Madura Peter Can you list the English ones, please, mate? Uh, Dan's just got it. Peter Odomingi. Ah. I was going to throw in QPR Car Park as well, just for laughs, if, you, <laughs> if you're listening. Right then. Um, so what's the score? So the scores are... Um, it's 11-7 to Dan. Oh. And there's three questions left. Oh, I'm not going to get it. Uh, Let's go. You can redeem yourself, Chris. <laughs> um, so it's a gamble question again. Can you? How many of the 13 Sam Allardyce managed teams can you name? <laughs> Jesus, okay. I'm going to have to write this down. Yeah, I'm going to write this down. Give, give us a sec. No, no I'll come to Chris first when you're ready. Yeah, I'll say four to start off with. I'll go six. Oh, he's jumped again. Chris? Go on, Dan. You haven't named any for a while, so go on. All right. Um, Everton? Yep. West Brom? Yep. Newcastle? Bolton? Yep. West Ham? Yep. Blackpool? Correct. Well done. Pardon me. I wouldn't have got it. Most of them, to be fair. Notts County as well. Uh, yeah. The full list is Limerick, Preston, Newcastle, Notts County, Bolton, Newcastle, Blackburn, West Ham, Sunderland, England, Crystal Palace, Everton, West Brom. Been around a bit, hasn't he? All right. Who am I? Born in 1987, I have played for four English clubs and one back home. I have been transferred for 25 million altogether. And I have played with Nicholas Anelka, Steve Sidwell, Romelu Lukaku, Michael Dewberry, and Ryan Bertrand. I also have 75 caps for my country. John Terry? No. 
Who are the players you played with, sorry? Anelka, Sidwell, Lukaku, Dewberry and Ryan Bertrand. Anelka is a good one there. Be careful. Who are the players, sorry? Scott Parker? No. Wayne Bridge? No. I'll give you one guess each. I'll give you a clue. He's never played for Chelsea. Oh, okay. That's throwing mine out the window then. It's the Michael Jubilee one. Okay, so I've got a good idea about. I'd focus on Anelka and um, Lukaku, probably, and maybe Bertrand. Do you want another clue? Just one more. Yeah, one more, mate. He's Irish. What did you say about caps? 72, wasn't it? 75 caps. For who? Ireland. All right. I was thinking he had 70 caps for England. Bloody hell. I wonder I was so far off. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Gary Kelly. No. He's a current player. He's still playing in the Premiership now. Seamus Coleman? No. Do you want me to put you out of your misery? Not really. <laughs> um, I mean, Dan, Dan's won, so it doesn't make any difference to the result. No. Uh, if you're saying it's not a Chelsea player, then I know it's someone that's played. Must have played for Leeds. Southampton. Said Bertrand. Shane Long? Yes. Hey. Well done, Chris. Lukaku at West Brom. Yeah. Right, final question. Well, just go back on that question. Dewberry, where was he playing out with him? I didn't look into what where where he played. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you bastard. I found I found it on Google. No, that's a great question. Well done. Dewberry must have played like Reading or somewhere, surely. Yeah, yeah, it would have been Reading, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That would have been it. Right, last question. It's the last gamble question. I was inspired by this Dan's last one about England players getting sent off. <laughs> oh, God, OK. So, since uh, February 2011, there have been 15 stand-in captains for England. How many can you name? So I'm not talking about like Rooney or Kane or Ferdinand who are officially a captain. I'm talking about someone who's like in a friendly one an armband or, or filled in because Kane's injured or whatever. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. That's a, that's a tricky one. Who are you going to do first? Uh, I'll come to Chris um, first. I'll go with three. Okay. Uh, I'll go with four. Any advances, Chris? Yeah, I'll go with five. Play for pride. Uh, uh, go on, Chris. I don't think I can get five. Jimmy Milner? Uh, yes. Wowzers. Can't believe that came out. Oh. 
<laughs> oh, let's go, Carl Walker. Uh, no. Ah. Oh. Dan, can you get one for the point? Um, Phil Neville. Uh, no. No, oh, I could have gone Connor Cody. <laughs> Bit late now. Right. Uh, well, the full list, like I said, it was from 2011. Uh, Frank Lampard, Gareth Barry, Scott Parker, Gary Cahill, Phil Jagielka, Joe Hart, James Milner, Chris Smalling, Jordan Henderson, Eric Dyer, Fabian Delph, Raheem Sterling, Harry Maguire, Kieran Trippier, and Connor Cody. I actually had Trippier. I thought of Trippier. I just thought no. Yeah, I would have got. I think I would have got Maguire. Um, that's no, a tough one. That's good. So ends twelve eight. Twelve eight. Well done. Well done, Dan. Good win there, mate. It's a tough another, quiz. Another mountain for me to climb next time. <laughs> I, I guess you're calling out what you, the next top ten will be for next next time. Yeah, go on, tell us, Chris. Okay, so obviously I, I, I admit I bailed, guys. Okay, I bailed big style because of how well Dan's flops went, nineteen ninety and nineteen ninety nine. I thought, well, why not just add on another decade onto it? Yeah, so we're going to go two thousand to two thousand and nine top ten flops. You know, it's going to be there's going to be more of a variation, and it's only going to get more and more varied as we go along. So, I thought we might as well carry on that that tat. So, okay, Premier League players flops between 2000 to 2009. There you go, guys. I'm by this one, to be honest, there's so many. That's what I mean. There's so many. Oh, right, see you in three weeks. Mm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right, well, I think that's all we've got time for tonight. So uh, it's goodbye for me. Goodbye for me. Goodbye for me. See you next time. Network.